0: Welcome to another inspirational podcast from Abundant Life Church where we believe that God is a good God. He loves you and he wants to bless you. Now join us as we dive into today's message. If I can just start off this morning by just telling you the Lord's with you today. Amen. So the Lord's with you. Amen. The Lord is with you. The Lord is with us. And so um, I just love the presence of Jesus. Wow, Uh, I want to get into this thing today. Uh, We have been in... (laughs) So it's funny. I've got these notes that I write down in my Bible for the the messages. And last night I wrote down week 8 of Psalm 23. Quite possibly the lengthiest teaching we have had. (laughs) Consecutive, consistent teaching we have had. But I'll tell you, each week... Uh, Has he yielded a different aspect? Uh, I believe a a, a different charge, uh, a different insight to who the Lord is. And I think it's been fascinating how in this time that we've been in Psalm 23, uh, how good God has been in showing us uh, who he is uh, in, in, in our life. We understand this passage is Constantly been talking about that the Lord is the good shepherd. Verse one of Psalm twenty three says, "I shall not be in want." Thank God, the Lord does not want us to be in want. Somebody said, "Amen." amen. And so, um, man, this has just been a powerful series. I know we're pulling up here on the end of it, and uh, this this week and, and next week uh, will will probably be the last two weeks into the series. I can't encourage you enough to go back and and. And listen into the into the podcast that we've made available. How many of you were with us last week on Freedom Sunday? That was awesome. About the table, the table was good. It was actually good. Got to enjoy that. Um, I've never actually eaten live in a in a service before, and so. The whole time I'm just thinking to myself, oh man I hope I don't spill anything on me. (laughs) You like that baby? I've got my daughter in service this morning. She said, daddy, when I put on my my, my headset, she goes, is that so that you can preach? I said, yeah. But last week was absolutely fantastic. We talked about the table. Um, The reality is this is that everybody has a seat at the table the Lord's no respecter of persons. God doesn't just highlight one. God does not get upset because maybe you you had a mishap and so you're shunned and you no longer get a place at the table. The table is prepared for for everyone that, that longs to sit in the presence of the king and he's prepared it for you and for me so that we can sit in his presence and be able to encounter and enjoy all that he has made available. And how many you know our God is a good God and he's made some pretty amazing things available for us to be able to enjoy and encounter in life. And maybe you might be in a season right now that you say, I'm not really encountering many joyful things. We'll just get close to the Lord as we were just in worship. Stay in his presence. And let me tell you, you will experience the fullness of joy. You'll experience the everlasting peace. You'll experience every single thing that you need to live a full an abundant life the abundant life is in Christ and Christ alone and so last week as we talked about the table and it was even beautiful as we concluded our time together presenting our freedom offering at the table and I shared this I thought it was wonderful how nobody shows up to a dinner party without bringing something to the table and we came together last week and we and we brought our best and we presented it before the Lord. And, and over the next couple of weeks here we'll share with you about uh, what, what had come in from last week and, and some of the things that we're going to be able to do and, and, and some of the emiss- missions initiatives and outreaches that we're going to be able to, to sow into because our heart through our freedom offering was to be able to bless our missions initiatives. And so we're going to share some of those things over the next several weeks and we're excited about that. And uh, and I'll even encourage you uh, as well if you did not have an op- opportunity to present your freedom offering at the conclusion conclusion of today's service. Uh, we'll still be here. We'll pray over that if that is something that you would like to present. Um, and we placed bottles of oil in everyone's hand last week. And that was symbolic and significant of the fact that when we get to the table, the first thing that the table head does is he anoints our head with oil. There's something about getting underneath the anointing. There's something about when the anointing flows that it breaks the yoke of bondage and maybe you've been in a situation or a season where your, your household has been completely in disarray or things are not right there is something about the anointing that flows and we handed out those bottles of oil and I charge you and I still do charge you anoint your household let the anointing let it be a symbolic act that the Lord will begin to flow that the blessing of life will begin to flow that the anointing will be released that all of a sudden healing And wholeness and breakthrough will begin to flow through your house because the Lord desires nothing broken, missing, and lost for your life, for your family, for our church, for our future. Amen? But that was the table. I didn't come to you to talk to you about the table this morning. I want to focus on verse 6 today. Again, for those of you that are here with us for the first time at Abundant Life, I'm so thankful you'd give part of your weekend to be with us It's such an honor and a privilege to have you here, and again, over the last, at this point, couple of months, we've been teaching on Psalm 23, and as we come into the close of this passage, uh, this week and next week, we're going to focus on verse 6. And in verse 6, what we begin to read and what we begin to see here is the Bible says this, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. All the days of my life. And then he goes on and he says, And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Today I just want to draw our attention to the opening statement of verse six Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. As we begin to to peek into this last scripture, I want to give you a visual really quick, because I know that this passage of Psalm 23 is a passage that is often quoted and cited, and we see it in 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 in, in TV and movies, and you know a, a lot of times we might reference it at memorial services or funeral services or it's something that we're taught in Sunday school and and and, and a lot of and a lot of the times when we hear Psalm 23 we just we have this picture of Jesus as if he is just dressed in this all white shepherd's robe and he's got beautiful feathered hair and you know everything's all perfect and he's got his precious lambs around him and 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 everything looks so good in the psalm 23 and here he is and he's going with his rod and his staff but the reality is this is that a shepherd is one who knows what it is to stand the test of times because up until verse 6 The shepherd has led the sheep every step of the way. He's been the first one to step foot in the valley. He's been the first one to encounter every enemy that would try to rise up against the sheep. He's the one that's willing to get the dirtiest. He's the one that's willing to roll up his sleeves. He's the the one that's willing to put his life on the line so that the sheep can continue to stay the course. I'm here to tell you, Is that our God, that Jesus was willing to give it all so that you could have it all? And so this isn't some pretty little passage. This is depicting the life of Christ, willing to lay his life down so that we could have an abundant life through him. And so for the first five verses, what we begin to see is that the Lord is my shepherd, he's the good shepherd. If you're taking notes, John chapter 10 illustrates the life of a good shepherd. In the gospel of John chapter 10, it talks about how the Lord is the good shepherd. Even in John chapter 10, that's where our church foundation scripture comes from. Though the enemy might try to steal, kill, and destroy, Jesus says, I come that you would have life and have it more abundantly. And so the enemies might try to come in and steal, kill, and destroy. What is the enemy trying to steal, kill, and destroy according to John chapter 10? is the sheep. But Jesus says that I have come. Isn't that a beautiful picture? The Lord has come. He has come on your behalf. That no matter what enemy, no matter what giant, no matter what devil in hell that tries to come against you, the Lord has come. That's why I said the Lord is with you. I said, The Lord is with you. He has come so that you could have an abundant life in Him and Him alone. And so we find out through these first five verses, the Lord is the one that is leading the sheep. We even read that in the opening few verses. The Bible says in Psalm 23 that He's my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Here it is He leads me. So He's going before me, He's leading me beside still waters. He also leads us in paths of righteousness. All of this is depicting the fact that the Lord is going before you. But what we find out now in verse 6 is that the Lord is not before David as he's writing us. But what he says is, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. So now he's referencing that something's behind him, not just what's before him. So this is important. As we get into this teaching this morning, I want you to see this as I read it again. Verse 6, surely goodness and mercy shall follow. Somebody say follow. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. All the days. Not some of the days. Not a few of the days. Not when I feel good about God that he's with me. All of the days. In my ins, and in my outs, and my ups, and my downs. All days of your days all the days of your life he says surely goodness and mercy shall follow now i want to attack this text today by breaking down a few key words that david wrote in psalm 23 and i want to start this with the first word that is stated here in verse 6 he says surely Surely, the word surely means to be certain. It means nevertheless. Surely, to be certain. It is a confidence. Help me out this morning. Say confidence. So he says, surely, goodness and mercy. I am confident that goodness and mercy will be following me. Surely, it's a certain certainty. And if there's any certain certainty of a believer, it's the fact that we walk by faith and not by sight. We walk by faith, not by sight. 2 Corinthians 5.7 says we walk by faith, not by sight. Can I help you out this morning? The opposite of faith is not fear. And I hear that preached a lot. Faith over fear as if fear is the opposite of faith and it is not. 2 Corinthians puts it in plain sight. We walk by faith, not by sight. So the opposite of faith is actually sight. The fruit of sight can create fear. The fruit of sight can create panic. The fruit of sight can make us anxious. But the opposite of faith, it's not fear, it is sight. And this is why it's important as believers that we are walking by faith. Now let's take a look at what is faith so that we can... Understand what David means when he says, surely. Surely is a certainty. Surely is a confidence. Surely is my faith, is what David is saying. But the Bible, it says this in Hebrews 11.1. I want you to turn there with me this morning. Book of Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, says this. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. How many times have we heard that in church before? How many times has that been taught to us in a class, in a Bible class in Sunday school? How many times have we heard that referenced and and mentioned before? How many of us hear that scripture and say, I don't even know what that means, but it sounds good? (laughs) Let me help you with this. The simplest way that we can define faith, the simplest way, okay? Would you just stay with me on this? Faith is trust. So when we read the word faith, let's put the word trust in there. Let's see what this says now. Now, trust is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen, So my faith is, what am I trusting? I'm trusting the Lord. I'm trusting the good shepherd. I'm trusting my creator. I'm trusting Christ Jesus. Now trust is the substance. Well, substance is a pretty confusing word as well. Is it a material substance? What is this substance? Can I present it this way? Now trust is the confidence. Trust is my surely. Trust is confidence that the things that are hoped for and evidence of things not seen. Now, I know you're looking at me all bewildered. Pastor, how in the world does any of this make sense? This morning when I came to church, my family, we got in our SUV, and uh, we drove here, we parked it, we got out of our vehicle, when we came inside. Now, my vehicle was able to turn on, and it started. I trusted that my vehicle would run. I had confidence that it would bring me to church. My hope was that we would arrive without the vehicle stopping, breaking down, or running out of gas. You following me this morning? Does anybody see a SUV inside this building right now? It's unseen. You don't see it right now, do you? I don't see it. So now my trust is that I am confident in the fact that my SUV is parked outside where I parked it and my hope is the way that it got me here is the same way it's going to bring me home. Even though I don't see it right now, I have expectation that it is still there and it will still do what it is designed and created to do. Surely, goodness and mercy was created, was designed, has the ability to do what it is supposed to do because I have faith in it. You follow me this morning? So David says, surely I've got a faith that goodness and mercy are going to follow me. But let's talk about the word follow really quick. Because the word follow is very, very important. Because the word follow is not that goodness and mercy are just hanging out behind me. I've heard that preached so many times. Goodness and mercy, it's just, you know, it's, it's, running, it's running after me. We've got songs about that. It's running after me. Well, I don't want goodness and mercy to run after me. I want goodness and mercy to be with me. And the follow that David is saying is not that it's following ten paces behind me, waiting for me to fall down and then it swoops in it's that at every wake and turn goodness and mercy it's following me by being with me everywhere that I go everywhere that you go goodness and mercy is with you I started off by saying the first five lines of Psalm 23 is the Lord that goes before us as the good shepherd. And in verse 6, I find it beautiful that David closes out this passage with the Lord now being a representation of behind him. Because goodness and mercy is the Lord. Goodness and mercy is the Lord. And so we have to understand that the Bible, it says in Isaiah 52:12 it says that the Lord goes before me in all things... And the God of Israel is behind me as my rear guard. So the Lord is before you and the Lord is behind you, which means the Lord is with you. Goodness and mercy is with you. It's not God's last resort. It's your first response knowing that goodness and mercy is with you. All the days of your life. Not some of the days. Not when it's hard. Not when it's just difficult. Every single moment the Lord is there as goodness and mercy with you. It's interesting because I made this note that the sheep, according to, as we've been reading through Psalm 23, the sheep are led in the ways of the shepherd to the table. Now again, for some of this teaching, you'll have to go back and listen to it if you haven't heard it but the table is the representation of where the Lord's leading us to but now David's no longer sitting at the table because if goodness and mercy is following me that means I'm in motion and let me tell you this if you live your life sitting at the table the, the the table is not for you to constantly just sit at and then do nothing The table is a place that we get to encounter the presence of the Lord, but why? So that we can take the presence of the Lord with us as we're reaching our world with life. As we're being a witness. As we're going out into the the highways and the byways and letting people know that God loves them, just as we sang about earlier today. And so what we see here, though, is that the shepherd leads the sheep. He is modeling an example of the steps that the sheep are supposed to take as they get to the table. Now they're leaving the table and the shepherd's not in front of the sheep. He's now behind them but with them as they're walking. I told you Psalm 23 is the full gospel. Jesus models the life that we're supposed to live through the gospels. But then he says, Greater works you shall do. So he now steps out of the way so that you can walk in the steps that he has already modeled. Are you seeing this? And this is important because Matthew 28 talks about the Great Commission go into all the world, preach the gospel, make disciples. We're to make disciples. The only way that I can make disciples is I have to be on the go. I can't just stay at the table. If I could just stay, in this setting, and allow the worship to continue to stay on. And I would love for that. But guess what? If we did that, the world would not know that God's a good God, that God loves them, and God wants to bless them. So we have to get up from the table so that we can get others, reach others, love others, show them their invitation to the table. And so the good shepherd, he models this by to the table leading in front of the sheep, But now as they're leaving from the table, going back to the homeland, he's behind the sheep. Now, I don't know if any of you like to go hiking, but whenever we go on trips, my wife and I, we always go for hikes. Now I've got a theory about hiking, I don't like it, (laughs) but I do it because I know that my wife enjoys it and the reality is I like being out in nature, I love the trees, I love mountains, uh, I love all that good stuff, and uh, so, so we do it, and uh, what I do is I quickly yelp a restaurant that we're going to go and eat to, and so that's my reward. Finish the hike, eat some good food. So that's how I get myself excited about hikes. But when we go hiking, there's two different types of hikes that you can do when, when going on a hike. There is what is called a loop, which means you basically just go in a long circle. You're like the children of Israel wandering. Hopefully you make it. I don't know. And then there's what's called an up and back. Now, I like loops because the entire time for the loop, everything is new. I've not walked in this place before. I've never seen it. So it's exciting. It's inviting. The the scenery is constantly changing because we're not re-encountering the same place twice. We're going in a full circle. The only time that re-encounter the same place is when we get to the end at the starting place. But then there's what's called an up and back, which means you can go to the top of the mountain and then come back. Now, I hate that. And the reason why I don't like it is because I'm hiking, and if it's a long hike, and it took me two hours to get to the top, then I know in my head, man, it's going to take me two hours to get back. So I already know how this is going to end. But when you do an up and back hike, when you go up, you're taking inventory of where the cracks and where the holes and where all the dangerous places are that you can misstep. And an up and back. So as I'm going up, if I happen to slip on the way up, I make a note, don't walk that way coming back. Now this is important because here's the shepherd. He's taking the sheep through the valley to the table and now they're returning back. It's a up and back. It's a, it's a, they're going out and then they're coming back in. And so the shepherd models the steps that that the sheep are supposed to take going to the table, but now the shepherd's behind them and the sheep have taken inventory of where they should step and where they shouldn't step coming back from the table. And in the event that the sheep slip and fall, goodness and mercy is there. You follow me with this this morning? This is so important to understand because just because you had a misstep doesn't mean that goodness and mercy is not with you. It's always with you all the days of your life. Because he's a good God. And so now the sheep are coming back. And they're returning from the table in the ways of the shepherd. Our life should be modeled to walk in the ways of the shepherd. And this is so important because a lot of us, we want Jesus to be present in the sense that we we see Jesus in everything that we do. But what happens if you don't see him? What happens if the billboard did not have John 3.16 and you had that moment where you were driving and you're like, I knew the Lord loved me. Sometimes we make everything spiritual. What happens when I'm in the middle of the valley and I can't see nothing? I have to have a faith that even in the unseen, that my steps are still ordered of the Lord. And my confidence is that the good shepherd, through his word, has already modeled a life for me to live and to walk in. And by faith, I'm walking according to the word. And so now we see the sheep, they're in this return, and this descent from the table. But David says, goodness and mercy shall follow me. Let's talk about goodness and then let's talk about mercy. The word goodness, the word goodness means to be useful, to be productive, to be prosperous. Goodness or good is not likability. Sometimes we will have something and have ice cream. That's good. I like it. But the word good that David is talking about is not likability. He's talking about productivity. Productivity. Are you useful? This is, this is so powerful right here because David is saying, surely productivity, surely the ability to be useful, surely to be prosperous is with me all the days of my life. The Lord wants you as you are in motion, as you are living this purposeful life to be productive. God does not want Christians and believers to not live their life productive. He does his desire is for you to be prosperous, not to sit around and do nothing and hope for the best. My faith is hoping that the Lord will swoop in. Well, he's saying, no, you need to be on the go. In my purpose, my plans that are to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future, they there. It's useful for your life. Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, we can have that on the screen. I want you to see it. If you have your Bibles, I want you to take a peek At this verse right here Genesis 1 he says this and God saw that everything that he made and indeed it was very good let's say that again God saw that everything that he had made and indeed it was indeed it was very useful the Lord's not going to create anything that doesn't have the capacity to be useful The Lord's not going to create anything that doesn't have the capacity to be productive or to be prosperous. The very first thing that he did when he created man and woman is he said, I bless you. Now what? Be fruitful, multiply, replenish. Be good. Doing good is not the rights and wrongs list. Doing good is saying, Lord, I am going to be productive in the life that you've given me. I'm going to be useful. That's why he talks about in the the entire chapter 1 of Genesis... That he created day from night, the sun for the day, the moon for at night, and he saw that it was useful. Now everywhere that you see good in the Bible, put in the word useful. We just read verse 31, everything that he made, it was very useful. You are useful. You are productive. You are called to be prosperous. Do not let anybody take that away from you. Who you are as a child of God is the ability to do great things for the kingdom of God. I don't care what has tried to tie you up, what has tried to kick you down, what has tried to make you believe that you are not useful, that you don't have the ability to have victory or success. You are, and the good shepherd knows that his mercy, his goodness, because of how he's created you to be in the steps that he's ordered for your life, is for you to be useful. What does he say? I've already been stating it. it. Says the steps of a good man, good man. Original text says good. The steps of a useful man is ordered of the Lord. The steps that the Lord's ordered for your life are to be productive. Useful. We live in a generation today where we're acting completely useless in our faith. And our ability to be a witness. And I tell you this with all boldness this morning. And, and I don't mean this with, with, with anything other than in all love, sincerity, and truth. My job as a pastor is not to win your community for Christ. Your job is to. Your responsibility is to be useful in the word of God and loving your community. Because you will talk, encounter, and dialogue with people that I will never meet. Now we have times, which we will by the end of today, where we will have a moment that those that are far from God, you can encounter the incredible love because God loves you today. And he cares about you. But make no mistake about it, you have a right and a responsibility to walk in the ways of the shepherd. To go into all the world, your world, your community, your job, your family, everywhere that you step foot in, be productive in the purpose that God has for you. So to be good is to be, someone's help me out, useful. Useful. And then we have mercy. Now there's a lot of teachings about mercy, but I want to try and tighten it up for our time together this morning. The word mercy, the word mercy means to be helpful. The word mercy means to be compassionate. It's to love, to be faithful. Mercy is to help those that cannot help themselves. I remember when I was a child and my parents took me to a candy store. Those are so dangerous for kids, by the way. (laughs) You know, you have all of those clear containers filled with lots of really bright colored candy and why do they have to put in there like garden shovels for you to fill up your plastic bags with? It's like an invitation (laughs) to just eat a ton of candy. And so I remember as a kid I went in there and, and I didn't know any better. I opened it up and I took one out. I took one raspberry blue jelly bean out because it looked useful. I knew it would be productive to my life. No, so I took one of the jelly beans out and I ate it. And I remember the store clerk came up to me and was like, excuse me, you didn't pay for that. And I was like, as a kid, I'm like, you know, you stole that. Now, as a child, the moment that you are accused of stealing, it's like, no, I took it. And they're like, no, you stole it. I didn't know the difference. I'm, took the candy I didn't know I was stealing oh my goodness what do I what do I do now and I remember though that the that the that the person that was managing the store looked at me and with just love in their eyes just said I know you didn't know it's it's okay it's okay I remember my parents came around and they said what's going on here I was like I stole candy <laughs> and it was like 10 cents and my parents they you know they regardless that the the, the, the manager of the store said it was okay. They went in and they, and they paid for it. I was helpless. I didn't have 10 cents to pay for a jelly bean. It's was five years old. Taking candy. <laughs> I didn't realize the consequence of it. I was helpless. Sometimes we get ourselves in situations where we're absolutely helpless. Now, I know that that's a, a, a childish story because I was a child. But how many times do we get ourselves in situations that we're helpless and we don't have the ability to pay or to get ourselves out of it. And sometimes we might have a misstep and the Lord says, out of my mercy, out of you being helpless, I will be helpful and I will get you out of this. See, Satan is going to heaven's courtroom with a long list, making accusation about everything that you've had a misstep in. But because of the blood of Jesus, Christ is there on your behalf saying... But because of my mercy and my grace. See, here's your difference between mercy and grace, okay? Mercy is what the Lord will do to get you out of the situation. But the the grace is how he does it. Mercy is that he sees that you're helpless. And so he's out of his compassion and his love. He says, we got to do something about it. And grace is the way that he does it. That's why he says it is by grace that we've been saved. But if you look at Ephesians chapter 2, it says out of his rich mercy, he loved us. So mercy is the spotlight that even in your helplessness, the Lord cares about you. He loves you, but then he pulls in grace and he says, and here's how we're going to get you out. you seeing this this morning. His rich mercy out of compassion and love. Now this is important because for the next several moments I want to draw our attention to a passage in the Bible. I want you, if you can with me, turn to the book of Mark, chapter 6. I want to take a look at this story here and, and, and I want to see mercy and goodness in action. Because it's one thing for us to talk about it and teach about it through lines of text, but there is something about seeing the living word of God come alive. In the book of Mark, Jesus illustrates this passage. And this is a familiar story. I'll go ahead and just give you the cliff note of it. This is the feeding of the 5,000. This is the time when Jesus gets away with his disciples. And as he's away, the crowds come rushing. Jesus ministers. The day is far spent. There is hunger. Loaves and fish are presented. Jesus blesses it and breaks it. Gives it to the disciples, they distribute it, and everyone is fed. Yay, 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 yay. The miracle was awesome, amen? The miracle was awesome, amen? But behind every miracle, there is a message. And if you don't know what the message is, the miracle means nothing. So when I say we're talking about the feeding of the 5,000, take out the pageantry, take out the blockbuster highlight of the miracle for a moment. Because behind every miracle, there is a message. That's why Jesus says all you look for is a sign. All you want is a wonder. You need to understand the message as the messenger, as the living word. If you don't understand me, all of this is for nothing. And we want signs and we need signs and we want miracles and we need miracles. But if there is not a message as to the why, then we've missed it. Because there's a lot of people in the world that can put on a lot of great performances, but the gospel is not performance driven, it's presence driven. Underneath every miracle, there is a message. And here's the message. Jesus starts off by saying this in the book of Mark, chapter 6. I want to read in verse 34. And Jesus, when he came out, saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion. Somebody say compassion. Compassion is mercy. So when Jesus saw the great multitude, he was moved with mercy, moved with compassion, because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Isn't that very fitting? So he began to teach them many things. Now, I want to note something. His compassion was not in their physical hunger, but their spiritual deprivation that they were malnourished spiritually. Because it says that he taught them many things. It didn't say that he fed them many things. He's teaching them. He sees that they have no direction. He sees that they are sheep with no shepherd. They don't know the way that they're supposed to go. And so he begins to teach them the word of God so that they would know the ways that they're supposed to walk in. That's what's going on here. And then what happens is this. In verse 35, when the day was now far spent, his disciples came to him and said, this is a deserted place already. The hour is late. This is the disciples talking. Verse 36, send them away that they may go into the surrounding country and villages to buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. I love Jesus. But he answered to them and he said, you give them something to eat. You give them something to eat. Now this is a very fascinating story that we have going on here because Jesus sees the people like sheep without a shepherd and he has mercy because he knows that they're helpless. So he knows that mercy needs to come around them and help them. And out of his goodness, out of his usefulness of being able to teach them, he sees that they are people that are useful once they know the word of God. The Bible says that the day was far spent, that the disciples came to Jesus and said, Send them away. It wasn't that Jesus said, Hey, fellas, there's thousands of people here. I've already given them the spiritual word. Now give them spiritual food or give them earthly food. That's not what happened. The disciples were tired, not the people. The disciples came to Jesus and said, Send them away. In other words, the disciples said, Jesus, this service is going on way too long. You're preaching way too much. You're talking way too loud. And we are hungry. And if you don't wrap this thing up, we are about to go and peace out and hit the BK. That's what's going on here. But Jesus looks at the disciples and he says, okay, if they're the ones that are hungry, you give them something to eat like a boss. In other words... I had compassion for them because they had a spiritual need. If they, a, if they are as hungry as you say that they are, then you have compassion to meet their physical need. Show them goodness. Show them mercy. Oh, oh! but wait, you know, uh, you know it, uh, oh, 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 200 denarii isn't even enough to buy enough bread for everybody. What are we going to do? He called them out on their bluff. Calls him right out on this whole entire situation. (laughs) He says, what's that young lad have? Five loaves, two fish? And then Andrew says, but what is that amongst so many? See, Jesus wasn't looking at how little the loaves and bread and fish were. He was looking at how useful. He saw it as a good thing. And some of us, what we do is we minimize what the Lord can do because we think it's useless. What, what's that phrase? One man's junk is another man's treasure. What's the difference? One man sees it as useless, the other sees it as useful. So Jesus sees the loaves and fish as being useful. And the Bible says that he already knew what he was going to do because the reality was is he knew that he had no compassion for the people. They were only thinking about themselves. And many of us in the body of Christ were only thinking about ourselves and what I can get from God and what I want from God and when the time is far spent I'm going to peace out and go and do my own thing. And then we miss out on the greatest miracles that can take place. And so here they are and Jesus, he identifies this and he sees this And he says, you go and feed them. Don't know what to do. Loaves and fish. He blesses it. He breaks it. And he multiplies it. Amen? Amen. Not amen. Not amen. Because he doesn't multiply it. It's a loaded question for you. He takes the loaves and fish. He puts it back into the hands of the disciples. And he says, now you give it. The miracle was not in Jesus' hands. The miracle was in the hands of the disciples that took what was blessed and ministered with it you got to look at what the Lord has placed in your hands and know that it is useful and minister with it. Say, so I'm waiting on the Lord to show up with my miracle. No, be the miracle. Love others and you'll get love. Bless others and you'll be blessed. Lord talks about it in, this, in, the, in the context of judging and in the, in the way that you judge in the same measure you'll be judged back. In other words, it's sowing and it's reaping. Let me help you with this. If you want to see healing, pray for the sick. You want to see your family saved? Man, love them with the love of the Lord and be a witness to others. So the disciples, are now ministering the needs to the people. And here's where it gets really good. Everyone's fed full so they wanted no more. There's 12 baskets that they pack up. They put it in the boat. And Jesus sends them. I love this. He sends them across the sea while he goes up and hangs out. With his heavenly father to pray. And here's where I want to just take a look at this here. Just a couple more moments. You're seeing something different in this passage today. So now the disciples, they're in a boat and they're going across the sea. And the Bible says in verse 47 of the same chapter, Mark 6 verse 47. Now when evening came, the boat was in the middle of the sea. He was alone on the land. He, meaning Jesus, was on the land with the Father. He was praying. Then he saw them straining at rowing, for the wind was against them. Now about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea and would have passed them by. I want you to see that. He would have passed them by. The disciples, they are in the boat. The wind and the waves are turning up. A lot of fear, a lot of panic. And here we see them struggling. Jesus senses their distress, starts to walk on the water. But the Bible didn't say that he just ran and jumped in the boat because they were in trouble. The Bible, what we just read, said that he would have passed them by. Now let me help you out with this. In Mark 4, verse 36... There's a wind and wave story in which Jesus is asleep on the back of the boat. And so Jesus is sleeping and they go and they wake him up and they say, Master, what are we going to do? And he says, you have a little faith. And he rebukes the wind, the waves, that whole entire situation. He says, peace, be still. And there's resolve in that boat. Now they've already been in one boat scenario. Here they are in another scenario. And in this scenario, here's the Lord watching. I've already modeled as the good shepherd how to walk in the ways in front of you. Now let me stand behind you and see if you know how to do it for yourself. Some of us, we want the Lord to be at the wheel the entire time, but then that takes away our ability to walk in faith and take ownership of our life. And so the Bible says that his intent was to pass them by. Okay, you saw me rebuke the wind and the waves before. Can you guys now model that as an example and do it for yourself? And the Bible says... That They were afraid, and so Jesus steps foot into the boat. I love this. Steps foot into the boat, and what happens is the wind and the waves stop. The second time, Jesus doesn't even say, peace, be still. How many fathers in the room this morning? You ever tell your children, knock it off? In other words, stop what you're doing? And you walk away, and they start back up, and all you have to do is walk in the room and give them that look? You don't have to say anything again because they already know. Jesus already rebuked the wind and waves once. When he stepped foot in the boat, the wind and waves already knew. Hold on a second, daddy's home. See, some of you are encountering the same situations over and over and over, talking yourself into a frenzy rather than just knowing by faith it's already done. I just look at my problem. I look at my giant. I look at my Goliath and I say, (laughs) hmm, 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 hmm. Back off. That's what you need to tell your situations, your winds and storms and, and different things that's trying to ride. Just look at it. Just, just give it a, give it a, I know this isn't very manly, but just give it like a sassy no. no. Sassy no. If you've got to be manly about it, just look at it and just give it a stern look. Forward those brows. You know, if you can Dwayne Johnson it, raise an eyebrow. Jesus gets into the boat and it says immediately they arrived at the other side. Can I tell you the moment that Jesus gets into the boat, you'll always be right on the other side. You'll be right where you need to be. You'll be right where you need to be. You know why? Because surely goodness and mercy and Jesus sees them, they're helpless and though he's already modeled how to do this thing one time in the boat, how many times have things been modeled for us and how we're supposed to Walk in faith and how we're supposed to do certain things that we know that we should do but we don't because the storms of life are raging and it's so hard that we default and we misstep. But guess what? Goodness and mercy is still with you. And Jesus sees them and mercy was, he was modeling, guys, mercy's with you. Help is on the way. Help is here. Because you are Good disciples, you're useful disciples, you are mine. We are his. But now here's where I want to close out this, this story. It's beautiful. He says this, as soon as he steps foot into the boat, verse 50, Be of good cheer, it is I, and do not be afraid. Then he went up to the boat, and the wind ceased, and they were greatly amazed, In themselves beyond measure and marveled, here it is, verse 52, for they did not understand about the loaves because their hearts were hardened. For they did not understand about the loaves for their hearts were hardened. what does loaves has to do with the fact that we were just in a life-altering circumstance in a boat? What does this have to do? The disciples were so mesmerized at what took place when Jesus got into the boat, that they didn't realize what Jesus was doing, is he was modeling the same thing with the loaves and fish right now as he got into the boat. He was trying to tell the disciples with the loaves and fish, "If you are truly compassionate, if you truly have mercy, you will give them something to eat, because they are helpless. Here's the disciples in a boat. They are helpless. So he is modeling mercy in real time and they could not see it because their hearts were hardened from the first situation. You see this this morning. What is happening in this miracle is not about loaves and fish. It's about goodness and mercy. What happened in the boat was not about Jesus walking on water. It was about goodness and mercy. Those are the miracles. Those are the supernatural. But underneath it all, there is a message. Underneath the grandness and the greatness of what God wants to do in your life, there is a message. There is a message of hope. There is a message of salvation. There is a message of deliverance. There's a message that the Lord wants to use you to communicate to others. In fact, when sheep are traveling in packs, if one sheep starts to get off the road or get off the path and go into the wrong direction, the sheep will nudge that other sheep back on the right path because they know. They're showing mercy with one another. The biggest miss is we don't show mercy with one another. If there ever was a culture right now that is anti-kingdom culture, it's called a cancel culture. And God forbid we show mercy to others. Well, hold on a second. Were you not yourself in a helpless state and the Lord have had his love and compassion and his grace came in and changed you and turned your life around? So who am I to start canceling people because they don't say things that I like? I don't care if you like me. I like to be liked. But goodness is not about likability, it's about productivity. And so whether you like me or not, I will be productive in this life that Christ has given me. I will live my life with compassion towards others and love towards others. Because we live in a lost and dying world right now where people need help. People need to know that God loves them. People need to know that God wants to bless them and that God cares about them. So who are we to sit back and do nothing? Because the table is so good. Yes, the table is good, but it's not meant for you to stay there. There's other people that have seats at the table, and how will they know if we don't go? How will the world know if you don't go? Let me give you one last scripture, Matthew 5, verse 7. Jesus is teaching about the Beatitudes. And as he walks through each of these attitudes, he says, you do one thing, and here's what's going to happen. I'm going to read this for you. He says, Blessed are those that are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they shall be filled. Verse 7, Blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. The passage goes on, blessed are the pure in heart, they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Pastor, what are you telling me this morning? Is that for each of those B attitudes, when I do one, I get something else except for one, and that is mercy. If we read here, blessed are the poor in spirit. He doesn't say for theirs is more poor in spirit. It says theirs is the kingdom. He said, blessed are those that hunger and thirst for righteousness. For you'll be filled. And say that you'll be more hungry and more thirsty. Only mercy, verse 7, blessed are the merciful so they shall receive mercy. If you want goodness and mercy in your life, you have to sow goodness and mercy out of your life. If you want goodness and mercy to be with you, you have to walk in goodness and mercy. And Some of you are like, I don't see goodness and mercy. My question is, how are you walking with love and compassion? How are you being useful to reach your world with life? Goodness and mercy. David understood this. David knew, who can I show kindness to? Who can I show mercy to? Who still is useful? Who is productive? David modeled this as a lifestyle and he knew all the days of my life I'm going to have goodness and mercy because I walk in it. For whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. You want to reap goodness and mercy? You want to live more prosperous? You want to live more productive? You want to to live to help others? You have to sow into it. You have to walk in it. Goodness and mercy will follow all the days of my life. Not some, but all. Lord, in my brokenness, you're with me. In my hurts, you're with me. When it's hard, you're with me. When I feel uncertain in the natural, you're with me. When we had a miscarriage, you were with me. When I felt unqualified, you were with me. When you lose the job, he's still with you, surely. When the marriage falls apart, he's still with you. Regardless of the storm of life, he is with you. Thank you for listening. We trust that what you heard today has encouraged you to live The Abundant Life. For more information about our ministry, please visit us on our website AbundantLife.tv or follow us on Instagram at AbundantLife underscore TV and Facebook at Come to Life. And remember, God is a good God. He loves you. and He wants to bless you.